I on? I think so, right? Sound like it? Well, it's great to be here today. I uh, had an opportunity to talk to David, and he asked me to come and fill in. And I'm glad he's getting away, having a little time away from himself. Um, I've been connected in some sense to this church for years. I knew uh, Pastor Mark Musser, and we used to, with the Suffolk County Pastors Group, we'd come together once a month, and we meet at different churches. And I can remember many times meeting here, and the men would always have a breakfast for us, cooking downstairs, and so that was always a great memory. And so I'm glad I'm able to be here today. I just want to share some things with you. I think it's really important um, as we think of really um, what God wants to do in this church. I'm excited for Dave, and I'm going to tell you why. I've watched him be here. I've watched him as he was the youth pastor. And he served here faithfully for years, even when you were looking for a pastor. And then you called him to be your senior pastor. I think he's earned his stripes, wouldn't you say that? That he was faithful, and I'll tell you to have a faithful shepherd is a big deal. And you just pray for him, you stand behind him, and you watch him grow, and you watch what God does with him as uh, you, you rally around him. I think that's so important. Well, I want you today to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians. And the message I'm going to bring today, which is kind of interesting, we just sang a song called Spirit of God. And today I'm going to talk to you about the Spirit of God. Now, uh, whoever picked that hymn didn't know I was going to preach this, did you? And so uh, I guess you're, you're responsible for that hymn. I, I looked down at the bulletin and said, this is amazing. I've given the title of today's message, The Spirit of Revival. Because I believe that revival is what we need. And... Uh, you look at the American, uh, the nation, this nation, you see revivals throughout its history. And, uh, you know, no matter when God moves, there's always people that are excited about it, and there's always people that criticize it. And so I've learned something. The people that agree with you are the ones that theologically agree with you, and the ones that don't criticize your revival. But what I've learned is God works across all different uh, denominations and situations. If you look at the history of our nation, you see that. And so revival is something that we've looked at. And uh, this past year, we had the Asbury revival again. And there were people that loved it, and there were people that hated it. And there were people that criticized it. And the internet is full of a lot of opinions. Uh, I had a friend that lives in Kentucky, and he actually went to Asbury to see what was going on. And he said to me, he said, Scott, it's real. And he said, I, I just... I'm meeting students and something's going on there. And I'm not here to legitimize it or put it down. I think it's very important that we just realize that God wants to move. And so if we look at really revivals and we look at what they are, uh, really a revival is to return to consciousness or life, to become active or flourishing again, to resuscitate. How do you like that one? To bring back when we think about somebody being treated and they're, they're unconscious and we resuscitate them and we, we think of that, that's so important. But what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn to Ephesians 5 and I want to read verses 13 through 21. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. The Apostle Paul writing to the church is telling the church about the importance of the Spirit of God. You're going to see that in here. And if you look at the verses before that, he says, I want you to walk in love. I want you to control what you say. I want you to have no silly talk, no filthy talk. He says, I want you to walk as children of light. And so he tells them all this. And then he comes to verse 13, and notice what it says. But all things become visible when they are exposed to light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Some of your Bibles say excess. It says, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's pray. Father, today I want to thank You, Lord, for Your Spirit. Because the day we said yes to Jesus, Your Spirit came into us and sealed us and made us Your child. But we also know that You've given us that Spirit to guide us and direct us and to help us to understand Your Word. And Father, today I pray that this message would change our lives. And Lord, there would be a great change in each and every person. Because revival is not so much about everything happening around us, but what's happening inside of each and every heart that is here today. So I pray, God, You'd personalize this message. That this message would become a message that would speak to every one of us. And we walk out of here, change people, transform people. So I pray that You guide my words, that You direct me as I look at Your Word, and I share it, God, today. Oh God, I pray for a move of Your Spirit in every heart today. Thank You, Father, for Your promises concerning Your Spirit. Oh Father, today we ask Your blessing on this message and on this incredible congregation. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, as we look at this passage, it's a very, very interesting passage. But once again, I want to refer back to what happened in February. Asbury Revival. Then a week later, the Jesus Revolution movie comes out. And all the buzz of what God was doing or did do or could do. And, and it was very interesting to watch. And there were critics. And what I've learned to do is I've learned to not criticize. I've learned that I might not even agree with something that happens in a place. But we have too much criticism in the church and among the church. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? I think today it's a day for the church to set aside differences as long as there's not compromise of core doctrines and beliefs. We need to understand that we need all, all hands on deck. We have to understand the importance of a church that is moving, a church that has the Spirit of God moving through it. I take the advice of Gamaliel. You remember when they, the apostles were speaking and, and um, they, wanted to, they wanted to kill the apostles and he said, gentlemen, be careful what you do with these men because if, if, this, if this is not of God, it's going to die out. But if this is of God, be careful because you may find yourself fighting against God. And so I've learned if I don't know exactly what's going on in any situation, I just praise God that people are becoming more like Jesus. You see, the evidence of the Spirit of God is transformed lives. The evidence is they become more like Him. If the Spirit of God is doing that, that is what we're looking for. And so today I want to talk to you not so much about a movement, but today I want to personalize this message to a mover of all movements. Because what really matters is not what happens over there or over here, but what really matters is what's happening in my heart, your heart. What is God doing and saying to you and me? Are we coming and hearing His Word with no change, or are we actually being moved by the Spirit of God? I often say this, that the Holy Spirit is almost like ocean waves in a sense. That it's always moving. Sometimes the waves are bigger, sometimes they're smaller. But you know what I've learned about the ocean? It never stops moving. And it may not be that God is doing something great and big, but you need to understand that in your eyes it may seem small, but I want to tell you that it may be big in the eyes of the person to whom it is happening. We have to understand that when God's Spirit moves, He's looking for people who will step into the water and ride the waves that He sends their way. And when God moves in your life, it's a change. When God opens your eyes, you realize it. When you're looking at the Scripture and something becomes real to you, it's amazing. And God wants you and I to look for what He's doing in my life first and what He's doing in the lives of those we come in contact with. God wants to touch you, but God wants to touch others through you. That revival starts with you and me. It starts with a personal encounter with God. Today, if we remember that, as we look through this passage and we look through the promises, I want you to understand that if God is doing something, we need to be excited for what He's doing in a person's life. There's enough critics in this world. We need more people that are for what God is doing and how God is moving. It doesn't mean you validate everything that's going on, but I come to the place where I've learned over the years, and when I was leading the, the Suffolk Pastors group, 
one of the things I was very careful about is we had so many different beliefs, every kind of denomination and belief. My goal was to bring us together and see everyone be successful. I believe that is what has to come back if we want to see God move. If you look at the Great Awakening, you look at the movements, they were across denominational lines and beliefs, and that's why God was able to work. There wasn't a criticism, and yet we knew there were criticisms. Because there always are. Whenever God moves, there are people that don't like it because it's not the way we do it. But today, I hopefully got to do something in you. Hopefully, God will move in your life and my life, and hopefully something real will take place. So as we look at this passage, I want us to keep that in mind, that God wants to move. You know, when Jesus spoke about the, the fields being white to the harvest, He said, some sow and others reap. And In other words, He's saying everyone has a part and God is moving and God is using all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. And I want us to remember that when the Spirit of God moves, that's important. When I was in seminary, one of the things I learned that just changed my preaching and changed the way I looked at the Word of God. I took Greek and so... Uh, not that I'm a Greek scholar by no way. The first time I took Greek, I failed it. The second time I took it, I got a D. Then when I went to seminary, I thought, I don't have to take languages. I took a one-year one master's, and then the Lord moved in different ways, and I knew that I needed to go on to take an MDiv. And then they said, you've got to take Greek and Hebrew. And I went, oh, but, oh, God, please. And so the third time I took Greek, it clicked. And I said, oh, okay, it's making sense. But I still at a point, it was, could be very intimidated. Languages can be. And the, the professor I had was very good. He wrote his own grammar books. He wrote, he, he literally would have you on the edge of your seat in class because the Word of God would come alive and he would make you sit there and go, wow, what does that mean? And you just, you loved it. And I remember the day we got the Greek exegesis. He said, you're going to translate the book of Colossians and you're going to write a commentary. And I thought... And I'm thinking in my head, we're going to write a commentary, right? We're going to, I read commentaries. I don't know if we're going to write one. You know, how that, you know how that would feel, right? But you know, he said the most powerful thing that, ever, that changed the way I looked at the Word of God from that day on. He said, gentlemen, you've studied and you've prepared and you have the same Holy Spirit that all those men that wrote the commentaries had. Now go write your commentary." And I went, wow, he's right. And I want to say to you, congregation, whether you know the language or not, I know a teacher who can bring you up to speed. Matter of fact, if your heart's open, you can surpass the, the, maybe the Greek scholar. Maybe you can surpass the, the, the language person because their heart isn't in tune with God. I want you to know today that if you get into the Word of God and the only thing you know is English and you read it and God helps you understand it, you'll be amazed at what you can walk away with. Because the Spirit of God who wrote the Scriptures, who spoke through holy men of God as they wrote the Scriptures, is the one that not only had them write it, He interprets it and He will help you understand it. And so today I want you to be confident about what you read here today. That you have the capability. You're able to look at this Word and it can come alive and become real to you. So as we look at the spirit of revival, I want us to keep that in mind. That God wants to enlighten you about His Word. He wants things to become real to you. He wants them to jump off the page. He wants you to read it. How many here have ever read something and all of a sudden you heard a sermon or you read it and you go, wow, I never saw that before. See, that's the Spirit of God. When all of a sudden you remember something, that you're talking to somebody and you, you tell them something about the Lord, and you look back and go, where'd that come from? That's the Spirit of God. That's the Spirit of God taking the Word of God that you've studied and bringing it to your mind. And so today, I want us to look at His Word. Now some people say the, Word of, the Spirit of God doesn't work. They kind of deny the work of the Holy Spirit. And there are those that abuse it. But it's just as wrong to neglect as well as it is to misrepresent. We have to understand that He's active. He's called to teach. He's called to guide. He's called all these things. We're going to be looking at that this morning. I want every one of us to come away from this message really looking at the fact that God said, I will pour out My Spirit upon all flesh. Acts chapter 2. We have to understand that that did not stop. And so today I want to look at the spirit of revival. And I guess if we're going to experience a personal revival, 
If you're going to do that, how do you get that? How does that happen as we look here at this passage? Well, the first thing is you must desire to be revived. You know, Jesus said something in John chapter 7. He said, if any man is thirsty, he said this, he said, if any man is thirsty, he says, let him drink. As the Scripture hath said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But thus he spoke to those who believed. It is understanding that God has so much more to give you. Even in the book of Isaiah, he says, I will pour out water on a thirsty land and streams on a dry ground. Are you thirsty for more today? How many of you want more? How many of you want God to speak deeper? How many of you want to really understand? How many want to be kind of reignited in your faith? You want to get to this place. Maybe you're at that place where it's kind of stagnant. And you're saying, God, I want to understand you more. I want you to notice that God wants you to see more. That revival is really when God starts to shine that flashlight on your soul. He starts to give you direction. He starts to guide you. And He he helps you to understand things. You know, Psalm 119.105 says, Thy word is a what? Lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know what's interesting about that? The lamp tells you where you are. A lamp is stationary. A light to your path tells you where you need to go. Do you know God's word will actually give you the guidance? It will show you exactly where you stand, good or bad. It will show you where you need to go. Isn't that amazing what God's Word will do? That God's Word is a light. There are things that maybe are not visible to you now, but God wants to make them visible. God wants you and I to understand that He wants to give us direction. Now today, every one of us, you know, we need a GPS. We just follow our phones, right? Do you remember before they were on your phones when you used to buy those GPS and you'd take a wrong turn and it would say, Recalculating. Remember? Recalculating. You know what God's doing in your life? When you look at His Word, He's trying to tell you, recalculate. I want to bring you back to where you need to go. I want you to understand where you're off course. I want you to understand I'm going to show you where you need to go. You see, He he wants us to understand that some things are visible and some things are not visible, but He wants your life to see things the way they really are. And revival is God's course correction. Now I want you to notice in verse 14, for this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Now once again, if you look here in chapter 5, I want you to notice what it would shown us here is that it says, once again, walk in love. Don't have silly talk. Don't have immoral talk or behavior. Walk as children of light. And then he comes along and he says this. And this is so powerful. He says, for this reason, if I was to translate this right out of the language, it would say, for this reason, wake up from your sleep. Rise up from the dead. It's not just talking about new life in Christ. He's saying, I want you to rise up from what I told you not to be. I want you to be different from the culture that's around you. I want you to be one who rises up from what everyone else is doing. I want you to be children of light. I want you to reflect Jesus Christ. I want you to arise up from among the dead. Because you're no longer dead. You've been made alive in Jesus Christ. And that is what He's calling us to when we look at this passage. He says, I want you to rise up. And so the first step to revival in your own personal life is you've got to want it. I want to ask you today, do you want it? Do you want things to be different? Do you want to be fired up? Do you want God to to shine the flashlight of His Spirit on your soul? Are you ready for the course corrections? Are you ready to hear God go, recalculating, recalculating? See, He wants you to be willing to follow a new direction, a new path, whatever that is. And so you've got to want it. The second thing is you must follow His lead as He leads you. And and we see there, therefore, be careful how you walk. He says, I want you to start thinking about the steps you take in your life. I want you to understand that it says in John 16 that He will guide you into all truth. Romans 8.14 says, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you really want to be a son, 
If you want to really be a daughter of God, if you want to be a person of God, then you've got to follow the Spirit of God. If we walk by the Spirit, it says you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Galatians 5.16, we have to understand that, that God wants us to follow Him. And so as we look here, that God wants us to follow Him, He wants us to follow His lead. But in following, I want you to see something. He's going to impart to you wisdom. Notice what it says. Therefore, verse 15, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. The Spirit of God is amazing. You know, when I read the book of Revelation, I remember reading about the seven spirits of God. But you know what's interesting? In the book of Isaiah, it tells us about the seven spirits of God. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, listen to what it says. It says, he says, And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of strength, and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He says, I want you to know that my Spirit will literally give you everything you need for life and godliness. Even when Paul talked about his life and his influence. He said, when I came to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in trembling, and my messages and my uh, preaching were not of persuasive words of wisdom, but demonstration of the Spirit of power that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. He says, I want you to know something. What I delivered to you was backed by God. God's ways may seem foolish to man. But I'm going to tell you, the wisdom of man is foolishness before God. You follow His ways, you're always going to be right. You're always going to be on target. You see, God wants you to make your life count. Look at verse 16. He says this. He says, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Colossians 4.5 says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. He says, I want you to know that if you walk in my ways, your life will count. Your life will make a difference because you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He says, I want you to know that how you live for me matters most. And that is the call of the believer to follow God. We are not called to be influenced, but to be influencers. We're called to make a difference in the world we live in. And that is what the Spirit of God will do as you look at His Word and He gives you wisdom. Verse 17, But then do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. You mean I can understand God's will? It says you can understand the will of God. How many want to know God's will? If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And he'll give to him generously and without reproach. God will not reproach you. He will not look at you and say, I can't believe you're asking me for that. He will reward you with the answer. If your heart is open to his will and his purpose and his plan, he will pour that into you. In James it says, don't say I'm going to go to such and such a city and in conducting business, and do this and do that. But you ought to say, if the Lord wills, I'm going to go there and do that. It's about His will. It's about saying, God, I'm willing to be led by You. And so if you want to be filled with the Spirit, if you want to be revived, if you want that to become real, then you've got to really want it. You've got to be willing to follow it. But then it's going to require something else. You must surrender your life. Romans 12.1 says, Make yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good, acceptable, and perfect. He says, I want you to live it out. I want you to prove it. And that word prove is that you would literally test it and show not only to yourself, but to everyone watching that this is the will of God. But you've got to surrender to get that. Now he wants you to leave your old life. Look at verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine. But that is excess. But be filled with the Spirit. He says, I don't want you to, to live the way you were living. 
Take Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Turn back to chapter 4. Look at verse 22. Notice what it says. In reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on a new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. Leave behind the old self. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world, right? is getting ready to pass away. But if you do the will of God, that abides forever. It's understanding that God wants you and I to leave the old behind and He wants us to embrace the new. Isn't that what Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter chapter, um, 9, verse 23? What did He say? If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow Me. We've got to understand it is surrender to follow. For he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. It is understanding that it's that life of surrender. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. One translation says that you might have it to the full. How many want to be filled? We have to desire that. Notice what it says, be not drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit, surrendering to God's control. I want you to look at Ephesians 4, uh, 3.14 with me. 3.14. Turn back there. Notice what it says. Notice Paul's prayer. By the way, Paul has awesome prayers. He has one in chapter 1 where he talks about getting the spirit of wisdom and understanding and revelation. Wow. Now listen to this prayer because... Paul makes two powerful prayers. By the way, it's interesting. The first half of Ephesians is your wealth in Christ. The second half is how do you walk it out. And so really, chapter 1 has an incredible prayer, and chapter 3 has an incredible prayer to, to prepare us to walk out our faith. And then he ends with the armor of God. It's a very strategic book, by the way. The book of Ephesians is incredibly strategic if you look at the way it's laid out. It's almost like a mini Romans in a sense. It's literally got everything you can think about packed in that book. It's amazing. It's solid. And that's how it is. But I want you to notice what it says. Look at verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Do you realize that everything about you, God knew. Every family, every person, He's got it all in control. He understands how everything's laid out. And that's a good thing to know. So in other words, you could sit there and go, yeah, but you don't know me. But He does. You don't know what I did, but He does. I don't know if I could do it, but He says you can. I don't know if it's for me. He says it is. Do you understand where I'm going with this? He's calling you to embrace this. Notice what He says next. That He would grant to you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His what? Spirit in the inner man. If it's automatic, if it's something that's, you know, just He's saying this is what God has for you, would you grab it? Would you go for it? Would you believe it? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That word dwell means to take up home in the sense to take up residence, to be at home. That God wants you to, he, the Spirit of God, He wants it to be comfortable in you so that it can do its work. He wants you to, to really be at a place where you come, come to peace with this. That you, may, uh, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, not some, not a few, not that you're left out in this one as in that person. You know, everyone. All the saints. All the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled up with the fullness of God. How many think that sounds like a lot? Filled up with the fullness of God. When he tells you to be filled with the Spirit, he said filled up with the fullness of God. So whatever you need, he has for you. He's telling you 
that He wants to fill you? Will you surrender to His control and to His filling? So you must surrender to your life. Number four, you must live for His glory. Look at verse 19, because we need to understand when Jesus, the Holy Spirit, will guide you into all truth, He will disclose to you what is to come. You know what He said next? And He will glorify Me. If you follow Him, if you surrender to Him, if you follow His lead, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to glorify Jesus. Your life is going to shine like a light. You're going to be the light of the world. You're going to be the salt of the earth. You're going to make a difference. The surrendered life is a life that glorifies God and points people to Him. And So how does that affect us? Because we talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. How do you know if somebody's filled? You know when you're filled. How many of you know you're saved? How do you know you're saved? You know. When you know you're filled, you're filled. But I'm going to tell you some of the evidences of a truly filled person. Number one. It's seen in your words. Because God wants to translate your words. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The Spirit-filled man or woman is a person that actually their words reflect Christ. Their words reflect the kind of talk that should be. You remember in the chapter earlier, you said no silly talk, no coarse jesting, none of that. He says you should be a person of purity, a person of honor. And so he says, I want you to understand that. It says in Proverbs 18 that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Wow. Your words can make a difference in people's lives. Colossians 4.6 says, Let your speech always be with grace. Not sometimes. Not once in a while. Ephesians 4.29 It says this, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification and may give grace to those who, he- who hear. So the first thing is going to happen when you, God fills you and God empowers you, when you allow God to have ownership of your life, it's going to change your words. But it's also going to change your affection. And I want you to see this. Notice what it says next. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know, your heart is going to go to God. You're going to be like David. Where David, his, the one passion of David is, what did God say about David all the time? He's a man after my own what? You're going to make melody to God. The psalmist said in Psalm 37, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, some people look at that and say, well, delight yourself in God and He'll give you whatever He want. That's not what it's saying. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. I believe that He'll give you the desires of your heart. Here, here make your desires His desires. And when those match, you got it. We have to understand that. That God changes the hearts. In Psalm 73 it says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you I desire nothing on earth. That is what the psalmist cried out. Do you want what God wants? Do you desire what you read in this Word to be yours? See, He's going to affect your affections. He's going to change you. But also I want you to notice here, change your attitudes. Look at verse 20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Giving thanks for all things. You know you're going to have a thankful heart. You're going to be a person that's thankful in everything. You know what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Wow. Thankfulness is important. In the book of Colossians, there's a verse I love. It says this about prayer. It says, Be devo- devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. It's interesting. He says, I want you to be committed to prayer. I want you to be alert about your prayer. And what does he mean alert? He's saying, I want when you pray to actually be praying. I don't want rote prayers. I want you to be looking at what's going on in your life, and I want you to be praying about it. The good things and the bad things. The struggles and the things that are going great. And then on top of that, I want you to do it with a thankful heart. 
because, you know, the heart tells me where I am spiritually. All things work together for good to those who love God, those who call according to His purpose, to get to that place where we see things as being good. God, this is not good. This is not fun. But I trust you. I trust in your hand. I trust in your sovereignty. I trust in what you're doing. I may not understand it, but I know you're in the middle of it. And that's what he said. And then he said this, praying that God would open a door for the Word, Paul says. See, Paul looked past his circumstances to his mission. He said, God, I want you to open opportunities even in the middle of this mess. That's why I'm going to be thankful. I don't know why, but maybe you're closing this door so this one can open. It's having eyes of faith. It's understanding God's moving. But He also wants to transform your attitudes. Look at verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wow. Now what's really interesting about this passage, God talks about what not to be like, awake out of sleep, then He says be filled with the Holy Spirit, then He tells you it's going to change your actions, and it's going to change your, your, uh, your words, and it's going to change your attitudes, and it's going to change your affections, and all this. And then look what He does next. Now, let's talk about marriage. Have you noticed that? Verse 22 is now marriage. Because He's telling you that we want to see where the rubber meets the road. So how is this going to impact your marriage, gentlemen, ladies? Then he comes down to chapter 6 and he talks about parenting. How is it going to affect the raising of your children? Then he comes to uh, verse 5 to 9 and he says, oh, let's talk about the workplace, by the way. Your boss that you can't stand? Do you gossip? Do you, are you different? Are you light in that place? Or are you grumpy? Are you going to be a light? And so what he does, he says, the filling of the Spirit affects every area of your life. It affects your relationship at home. It affects your home and your parenting. It affects where you work. It affects where you live. If you're Spirit-filled, it will affect your words. It will affect your affections. It will affect your attitudes. It will affect your actions. That's a Spirit-filled man or woman. And that is what God's calling us to. So what is the Spirit saying to you today? What about your actions? What about where you are? What about our attitudes? Well, the question is, will you allow yourself to be governed by another person? Will you allow yourself to be led and influenced by somebody else? A.W. Toza says, are you willing to let another person tell you how to live and what to do and how to act? He says, if you don't, you just think you want to be filled. He says, because a Spirit-filled man says, God, whatever it is, I'm here. Whatever it is. I have a friend of mine that called me probably a few, maybe in the fall. And, uh, you know, you've got to have a friend every once in a while. That uh, I have a friend that we, we, we get on the phone and we, we say the thoughts that we're not allowed to say to anybody in the sense of theological challenges. So he throws a question at me. He goes, what do you think about that? And I go, I don't know, Dave. I'm thinking about it. And so uh, he's been in ministry longer than me. He's been in like 40 years of ministry. And um, this is the question he threw at me. He says, uh, Scott, i got a question for you. I said, what's that, Dave? He says, do we need to ask God to fill us? And I said, what do you ask? He says, I've been doing it for about 40 years, and I was wondering if I'm supposed to do it. And I said, oh. And I thought about it for a second. I said, eh, you know, Dave, I think it's biblical. I'm going to say yes. And we, we kind of kick it around. And look, we're not saying you don't have the Holy Spirit. You get 100% of the Holy Spirit when you say But it's about Him having 100% of you. Are you with me on this one? And we, we kind of kick these things around. This is what James says. Now, he's writing to believers. Ready? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. Wait a second, I have the Spirit of God already. He desires that His Spirit be at home. That you feel at home with His presence, His guidance. He says, I want you to understand that. He says that in there. And then Jesus told us something where to expect it. Listen to this. 
And Jesus stood and cried out, If any man is thirsty, are you thirsty for more? Let him come to me and drink. Well, drinking is something deliberately we do. And he says this, And he who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. With this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, I think Jesus has been glorified. Well, he said, I'll have rivers of living water if I want it. Wow. Hmm. Luke chapter 24. But I am sending you forth the promise of my Father to come upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Hmm. Acts 1.8, But we shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Hmm. So we're told to expect something more. I'm not talking about a second thing, so just, just I want you to read me. And Jesus also said when he talked about prayer, in, John, in Luke 11 he said, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gives the parable of the person, you remember, needed bread. My friends come from a journey, I have nothing to lay before him. And then he said, he said, you know, knocking it shall be given, seeking you shall find, knock, uh, knocking it shall be opened, rather, asking shall be given, seeking you shall find, knock shall be opened. And he says, he who keeps on asking, seeking, knocking. And then he says, you being evil compared to men, you will give good gifts to your children, Matthew. But here's what it says in Luke. It says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Now, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. But I want to know, does he have you? Are you willing to be filled to allow Him to come in? Paul says, be filled with the Spirit of God. He says, I want you to keep on being filled. That's literally how it's written. He said, I want a life that is Spirit-filled. Now, Acts chapter 2 is amazing. Remember the day of Pentecost? The Spirit of God comes on everybody. The church is birthed. It's incredible. As a matter of fact, when you look at the chapters, it's amazing. You watch them heal the guy. You remember the guy that, was, that couldn't walk at the temple and all of a sudden he was, he was walking and he's sleeping and he was praising God and it's really exciting and everything's going on. And, and stand before the council, they get mad at him about the man that was healed and they said, don't speak anymore in his name but we must obey God rather than man. And, and they come and they report to everyone what's going on. But what happened in that chapter? Acts chapter 4. They realized they were warned not to speak. They realized they were brought before the council. They realized they'd been jailed and they'd been freed. And they stood up to them. But I don't know about you, there are times when I'm very brave. And there are times when I'm not so brave. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There are times when you feel bold. And there are times you don't. There are times when I say, God, you know, wait a minute, I prayed with somebody before I came up in the pulpit today in one of the back rooms. Why did I do that? How many of you pray before you do your worship? Do you pray? How many of you pray before you teach? Do you pray? Well, what are you doing that for? You're doing it because you need a little bit more. You need His wisdom. You need His insight. You need His power. You need His influence. You need that. We do it all the time. And this is what the apostles did. I want you to listen to this. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that Thy bondservants may speak Your Word with confidence while You do extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And in verse 31, so powerful. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. What happened there? It was an answer to a need. Now, I'm not saying your whole building's going to shake. But when we pray, are we believing that God can do more? Otherwise, what's the purpose of prayer? It's coming to this place where we become very dependent on God. It later says in Acts 4, and with great power, the apostles were giving witness 
to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. It's an answer to prayer. We do it all the time, but what we don't want, what we do is we see abuse, so we, I don't want to do that. And God's going, yeah, but I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to do what's here. I'm asking you to ask me to bless what you're doing. I'm a, you're asking me to enhance what you're teaching, what you're saying, what you're sharing, how you're involved, how you're seeing. I'm, you're asking me to be in the middle of what you're doing. Second Timothy 1.14 We have a stewardship from God. Listen to this verse. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been trusted to you. Now Paul says this, Timothy, I want you to guard through the Holy Spirit what's been entrusted to us. And then he says this, or dwells in us rather. In other words, it's me, Timothy, it's in you. And he says, but I want you to, to uh, protect that treasure, Timothy, that was entrusted to you. Paul's trying to let him know that the Holy Spirit is here to guide him, to teach him, to empower him, to enlighten him, to move in his life. The Holy Spirit today is looking for people that will say, God, I want you. Looking for people that say, Lord, I want to follow you. He's looking for people that not only would say about being, follow him, but he's looking for people that will surrender their life and he's looking for people who will live for his glory. It's understanding that the Spirit of God, I want to talk about revival. It's really about what's happening in you. It's really about what's happening in me. Either this book is real or it's not. Either the promises are real or they're not. But God is calling every one of us to respond to the spirit of revival. See, I could talk about a movement, but I'm not going to. Because it's really irrelevant. It doesn't matter if something happened in the Great Awakening. That's a long time ago. I love reading about it, right? You like reading about stories of great revivals and moves of God? Well, why do we like just reading them? How about if we say, God, can it happen with me? Can it happen now? Can you do it in us? What if you started praying, God, every Sunday for Pastor David, and you started saying, God, fill him with your presence. Fill him with your spirit. What would happen if we had a church that believed that when they prayed, that would actually happen? You'd see God move in ways that... See, I, I believe we need a revival in this nation. And I'm not looking for a movement. You know what I'm looking for? A bunch of churches that have a movement in their churches. Because churches are very diverse theologically. Isn't that true? But I think we all believe revival can happen. So our goal needs to be, God, revive us. God, move in us. That has to become the call of your heart. That God is going to do something in and through New Village Church on Long Island. Why not believe God for that? Better yet, why not ask God for that? If any man is thirsty and drinks... As the Scripture hath said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke to those who believed. Now I'm going to tell you the Spirit was given. Jesus was glorified. It's your promise. It's my promise. We have a lot of people say, well, it's the end. I think it's over. I'm going to go down swinging. I'm sorry. You've got to go for it. What's the choice? There is no choice. But what would happen? I mean, look at what God did with 12 men. You know, what was the complaint in, in the book of Acts? These men who have turned the world upside down. You want to turn some things upside down for the kingdom? It's going to take spirit-filled men and women.
and say, God, here am I. Use me. I mean, those are the famous words of D.L. Moody. He didn't know what God was going to do, but he said, I'm here. And it's amazing. God's moved through the lives of people that were just fishermen, right? The apostles were fishermen. And look what happened. God wants to use you. He wants to use me. But we have to surrender to be filled with His Spirit. Today, do you have the Spirit of God? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever made a decision for Jesus Christ? Have you ever received Him as Lord and Savior? Today, maybe there's somebody here you've never made that personal decision. I want to give you that opportunity. You can trust Him. You can ask Him into your heart and life. You can receive Him. He died on that cross to pay for your sins. He rose to justify you. There's two things that you need to get to heaven. Number one, you've got to have your sins forgiven. Number two, you need the righteousness of God. And Jesus provided them both. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He literally died on that cross, took your place, rose from the dead in your place, offers to you his righteousness. He was the first of the resurrection, and when you trust him, you become part of that family. But you have to trust him. So if you've never done that today, you can trust him. You can ask him into your heart and life to save you, to be your Savior and Lord. Will you do that? Ask him to save you. So I don't know what this crew. I don't know everyone that's here. But I'd like to give an opportunity to do that. And today, if you know him, will you surrender to his filling? Will you say, God, I don't even know how to begin. I don't even know how to start. I know I have the Holy Spirit. I know I'm saved. I know I'm sealed. I know I have this, but I want more of you. And you say, Lord, today, I want my faith to be different. I want to be different. Will you surrender to that today? So let's bow our heads in prayer. I'd like to lead you in two simple prayers. The first one, if you've never trusted Christ, to receive Him as your Lord and Savior. To ask Him into your heart. The second one is to surrender to His Spirit and ask Him to revive you. Ask Him to fill you. And so the first one is this. Just pray this in your heart silently and say, Dear God, I know that Jesus Christ came and that He suffered on that cross and paid the penalty for my sins by dying in my place. I know that He not only died, but that He was buried and rose again to justify me. And I receive Him as my Savior and Lord. Come into my heart now and save me. And today, if you know Him and you say, Lord, I want to be filled with Your presence. I'm ready to surrender to You. I want to be led. I want more. Oh, today, God, I surrender and I yield myself. Would you guide me and direct me? Would you fill me and help me? And today, I just surrender myself to you. Would you tell him that? And today, with every head bowed, no one looking around, today, if God's spoken to you in any way about the Spirit of God or salvation, would you indicate that to me by just lifting your hand for a moment? Just lift your hand up. God spoke to me today. Anybody at all? I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Anybody else? God spoke to me. Father, thank you, Lord, today for those who have responded. And I pray, God, that, Lord, you would just speak to their hearts and confirm to them that their decision and help them to make a difference. And I thank you for each and every one of them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.